Well, we're continuing on in this series, I Love You to Death and Back. And in this series, we've been talking about the idea that you are loved. Whether you know it, whether you don't, you're loved. And the reason that you're loved is because God said so. It's like the ultimate parent move, where you're loved because God said that you're loved. And this love, it affects everything about you. It affects your identity. It affects your calling, your purpose, your meaning in this life. Everything is impacted by the idea that you're loved. Now, by this time, you might be saying, okay, we've spent a lot of time on this. Can we move on and can we talk about some new things? Like, this is a lot of time on the idea of being loved. Why are we doing this? Well, the reason that we're spending so much time on us is because we spend a lot of time on us. We're always thinking about ourselves. We're always questioning things about ourselves. And really, it's time to settle this. It's time for us to be able to have the whole of our being be really infected by the love of God, and then we can move on to the things of God. But if we don't get this, there's nothing else to move on to. Now, we all have days and seasons where there is this other voice that's kind of talking within us. I'm not talking about the condemning voices outside of us that have said things. We, we talked about a couple weeks ago where there's messages that people can say to you or even just... Uh, Things that you gather from outside of yourself that you take and weigh and take as part of your identity, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a message within you. We're talking about a season where you feel distant from God. St. Ignatius called these times times of desolation. And they're times where you start to wonder and question is, is all this real? Do I pray just because it makes me feel better? Am I believing this because something actually is worth believing in? Or am I just like going through motions? Sometimes it feels too good to be true that the creator of the world would love us and would know us. And these times of desolation, they pull us away from God. They pull us distant from God and, and cause us to question a lot about us, question things like if we are loved if we could really be who God called us to be. And so this morning, we are going to spend time in a case study from the Old Testament. We're going to look at someone who's wrestling through all of this process themselves, and I believe that as we do this, we're going to find ourselves in his story. And so before we dive into the scripture, I want to ask you to pray with me. So for, from wherever we are, let's, let's spend a second praying and trust that the Holy Spirit can work virtually and in all these ways, that it's not the same as typical church, but that God still moves. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you love us. I pray that in real ways that we would begin to believe that. That in every part of ourselves that we would believe that you love us. Jesus, thanks for doing the work Thanks for loving us back from death that we might know life again now in Holy Spirit. Thank you that you live within us, redefining us and transforming us. And as you do that, may we live loved. As we open up your scripture, would you, would you show us, yes, yeah, some about Saul, but we also show us ourselves. Cut us free. Make us whole. We pray this because we know you can do it in your name. Amen. 
Well, our case study begins with this dad whose name is Kish. And Kish has lost his donkeys. This is a horrible instance in this world. Back in the Old Testament times, his donkeys are gone. He doesn't know where they went. And I don't even know how you would begin to find lost donkeys in any time, in any place, but particularly at this time. It's not like they're microchipped. It's not like these technologies are, are available. It's not like they can go around in their, their like farm truck and go find the donkeys. Instead, Kish sends his son and a servant boy to just go in whatever direction and go find the lost donkeys. So as they take off, this servant mentions that there's a prophet. They get to this town and says, hey, there, there's a prophet. Actually, at this time in, in scripture, the prophet is often called the seer. And, and so the servant boy says, hey, there's a seer in this town. Let's go see the seer. And maybe the seer will tell us exactly where the donkey is. You see, people believed that God spoke to one person. At this time, God moved differently. Now that we live post-resurrection, post the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit speaks to each one of us. But at this time, he moved differently, and God spoke through these seers, and people would come to the seer or the prophet with questions like, hey, I lost my donkey. Would you be able to ask God on my behalf where my donkey is? And so Saul says, we don't have any, anything to give him. We have some bread, but that's all we have. And the servant boy says, I have a coin. And so they're like, great, let's go give the coin and see if the prophet will tell us where our donkey is. And so they walk into the town and they find some, find some girls. And they say, hey, do you know where the seer is? And the girls say, yeah, he's, he's headed over to the feast with the rest of the town. If you get there quick, you'll be able to to see the prophet, and they go near the feast, and they say, hey, could you point out the seer? Could you point out the prophet to us? But they're asking the prophet. They're asking Samuel. Now, they don't know, but Samuel has been talking to God. And, and, and they think they're just asking an average man here, and it is the guy that they're out to find, but God... God has been talking to Samuel, as Samuel talked to God, and he's been talking about Saul, this boy with the lost donkeys. He's been talking about this guy coming, and God said, hey, tomorrow, this young man's going to come, and I need you to anoint him as king, because I've heard the cries of my people, and I'm answering by sending this king to bring freedom to my people. See, this is important. Now, if we know the story of King Saul, we probably think he is bad from the beginning. But that's not the case. His story begins with, with God wanting to respond to God's people. Sure, God was reluctant on giving a king because it blurs the lines between needing a God. But he wanted to answer the, the cries of the people. He wanted to bring freedom to his people. And so Samuel hears from God that the king is Saul. And Samuel looks at Saul and says, go to, go to this feast with me tonight. And I need you to know that your donkeys, they're found. It's fine. I'm not going to talk to you about the donkeys. In fact, I'm going to talk to you about you. Because, well, you're to be the king. Now imagine that, that the prophet in town, the seer for your nation, 
the person who hears from God looks at you and said, don't worry about the problem that you had 30 minutes ago. That problem's resolved. The donkeys are found. Everything's good. I want to talk to you about something that matters more. You are king. Saul hears this, and his response is, I'm, a, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. We're the least. And within the tribe of Benjamin, I'm from the most humble family. I'm from the least qualified, the smallest, least important family. Uh, it can't be. That's not me. And so he goes to this feast and he's seated in the seat of honor. He then goes and spends the night and the next morning, Samuel wakes up, wakes Saul up, sends him on his, on his way and says, you will be king. And we pick up in 1 Samuel 10. It says, Samuel took a vial of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him. And he said, the Lord has anointed you ruler over his people and you'll show you shall reign over the people of God, and you will save them from the hand of the enemies all around. Then he even gives them a sign. If, if the anointing of oil isn't enough, if, if the kiss from the prophet and the words from the prophet aren't enough, he, he gives them this sign that, hey, you're going to go to this town, and here's the exact conversation that's going to happen. Here's the exact things that people are going to say to you. You see, sometimes we want signs so bad. And why do we want them? Because we need to know what is true is more true than these feelings that we have inside. Saul is certain that he is from the least and the smallest. And he wants this sign that maybe, just maybe, what Samuel is saying is true. And he's anointed. And he has this sign that's confirmed by the conversation. Then we get to verse 9. It says, as... As he turned away to leave, Samuel, God gave him another heart. And all these signs were fulfilled that day. You see, he's finally leaving from the prophet. And God gives Saul a new heart. We've sang of this, right? We've prayed for this. We've read of this in other places in Scripture. And here we see that it happens. This guy, Saul, who is the least and the smallest, is given a new heart, an anointing, a role as king, and a sign of confirmation that all of this is to be. Then in verse 11, we see that when all who knew him before saw how he prophesied with other prophets, the people said to one another, what has come over this son of Kish? Is Saul among the prophets? They knew where he was from. They're like from his neighborhood. And he came back and they're like, get out. Saul has never acted like this before. He's never prophesied like this before. He's never looked like this before. There is something different about him. Everything is different within Saul. The, the new heart, I think that was shining through. This gift of prophecy, the anointing, the spirit of God upon it, like Everybody could tell. They could physically see this, and they said it to him. And yet the voice within believed he was the least and the smallest. Now, if you've ever had that voice within you that believes that you are other than what God says that you are, it's, it's not that you should feel shame over. See, that's the moment when we bring that to God. Hey, you say this, but I feel this. 
And we bring that to God in prayer. I believe there was an invitation on this road for salt to say, hey, you have anointed me. You have given me a sign, a new heart. Even my neighbors can recognize it, but I can't yet, God. I still feel the least and the smallest. But he didn't bring it before God. Instead, he stuffed it down. And instead of acting as the anointed king, he acted like someone who had something to prove. He was still the least. He was still the smallest. This even followed him into the moment where he was being selected before all the people. You see, the way that this was happening is they were casting lots and different tribe comes forward and the tribe of Benjamin comes forward and then his family is picked out. And as his family is picked out, look, look at this verse. It says... But when they sought him, he could not be found. Verse 22, it picks up. So they inquired again of the Lord, did the man come here? And the Lord said, see, he has hidden himself among the baggage. Then they ran and brought him from there. And when he took his stand among the people, he was head and shoulders taller than any of them. So Samuel said to all the people, Did you see the one whom the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. And all of the people shouted, long live the king. Now, right away, I have to be honest, it's confusing to me. Why are you casting lots when you can just call on the Lord and the Lord answers you? That seems confusing to me, but that's the way that it was. And so they cast the lots Saul's name is chosen. They look for Saul. They can't find him. They inquire about the Lord. Where is he? Is he even here? And the Lord says, yeah. He's over in baggage claim, hiding. He's tucked underneath the luggage. And this isn't like a tiny child hiding under luggage. This is the one who's head and shoulders taller than everybody else. This is the largest man in the room who's covered himself with the the dirty bags of other people had brought along. He's hiding, trying to avoid the call of God on his life. Everyone else sees him head and shoulders above them. Everyone's crying out and calling out, long live the king. But Saul? Well, Saul is still the least and the smallest. And yet from this day, he's king. And there's this tension within. And there's situations where a king is needed, and no matter what he feels like, the king is needed. And fear comes. An opportunity to prove himself comes. And just like for all of us, we can either lean into who God says that we are, or we can lean into this season of desolation. And if we're in that season where we're believing this lesser thing about us, then either most likely we run and hide, like he did in the luggage, or we go fight to prove something that nobody's asking us to prove, which is what he does in the next few chapters. You see, if you feel like there are two things at war within you, then, well, you feel a lot like everybody else. Because there is the truth of who God says that you are. And then most often there is the truth of who you believe that you are. 
and one of them will win out. I was reading this book this week that, that I want to I read a quick two sentences to you. It says that there's a Native American legend that tells of an elder explaining to his grandson that there are two wolves within him, and they're struggling for control of his actions. One wolf is the true spirit. The other is the false spirit. The young grandson asks, and which will win, grandfather? And the old man answers, the one I feed. I believe this is true for you and me. If you believe you are the least and the smallest, you will become the least and the smallest. If you believe you are beloved by the God who started to spin this whole thing, I believe you'll live as the one who is beloved. Not because it's self-talk or convincing yourself, but because the Holy Spirit works within us, but he doesn't force anything. God doesn't force you. God allows for this tension to be there and cheers for you and roots for you and wants you to live wholly his. And yet, there are these two things within you and which one will you feed? For Saul, it's a tragic story. Saul runs and hides and then he runs to prove himself. He goes into spaces God didn't invite him to go. He ends up hurting his people. All to prove that he should be king. Now here's the thing about it. God never asked him to prove it. He never said that he needed to be worthy of it. God instead just trusted Saul with it. He just trusted Saul to be king. Trusted Saul to believe that God would work through him. And that's just not what happened. Instead, Saul, well, Saul just lived as the least and as the smallest who wore the king's crown. It picks up in chapter 15. This is like the tragic turn. See, the word of God came to Samuel and said, I regret that I made Saul king, for he's turned my back, his back from following me and has not carried out my commandments. And Samuel was angry about this, and he cried out to God. And the next morning, he went to find Saul, and he found out that Saul had, had made for himself a monument. You see, the thing about if we live with this least and smallest within us, we, we end up having to puff ourselves out and make a monument to ourselves because we don't feel worthy of the love. You know what? You're not worthy. It's not about worthiness. That's not the point here. The point is that you are loved. And Saul tried to prove that he wasn't the least, he wasn't the smallest, made a monument ended up having animals sacrificed to him. Saul came, Samuel came and said, Saul, why are there all these animals? And then Saul even lies about that. He can't tell the truth on it. And Samuel says to Saul, just stop. 
I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. Saul said, speak. And then Samuel said these words, though you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel. Though you are little in your own eyes. You've got the crown, you've got the armies, you've got the anointing of God, you have the, the sign that was confirmed, you have the, the new heart, you have all of this that proves that you are who God says that you are, and yet in your own eyes, you're still just little. The tragic thing that happens is the anointing of the Lord, it's pulled. Saul is no longer the anointed king. All of a sudden, we see David come along, and David is seen as a threat, and the jealousy and the pain and all of this that's within Saul, well, that's all that leaks out. You see, Saul had puffed up larger than life because he was afraid that he was the least and the smallest. And some of us know that fear. Some of us have lived there ourselves, but nothing can change that but you. Nothing can change it but you. You see, inside each of us is a decision. God has been clear about who God thinks that you are. 1 John 3, 1. I hope by now we've, we've about got this memorized, right? See what love the Father has given us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. God could not be more clear about who God says that you are. You are his child. His love is lavished on you. There is no lack there is only abundance and clarity. You are his. The problem is within you, you are probably equally clear about who you believe that you are. And which one wins out? Are you unworthy, undeserving? Well, that's not the point. None of this has ever been about being worthy or deserving. You don't behave right. You don't say the right things. It's never been about that. It's been about the fact that you are loved, that the Holy Spirit dwells within you. That's the point. So what do we do with this? Well, some of us, we need to forgive ourselves. There's a whole bunch of baggage we're carrying on. We're bringing this with us place to place to place. We can't forgive ourselves. We haven't moved on. We're trying to prove that that's not us anymore. And yet above that, God is calling that you are beloved. You are beloved. You are beloved. And because you are beloved, it's time for you to forgive yourself. Some of us need to surrender the shame that we feel, the blame that we place on ourselves. I'm not saying resolve it all and come to God with it all tidy and nice. I'm saying we come to him with this mess that we have. God, I know that your word is clear. I even feel it in my spirit, your Holy Spirit confirming that within me. And yet, I've got all this stuff and all this shame and this blame that I carry. God, what, what do we do with this? And some of you, some of us, just need to let God's words and God's truth 
wash over us over and over and over to allow us to be healed. I mean, let's, let me read this for you one more time. See what love the Father has given us or in other translations lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The most true thing about you is that you're loved by God. But until you deal with that, and until you let that flush through all of you, your past, your present, your future, your mind, your emotions, your physical body, until that truth washes over all of us, there's no biblical or theological fact that really even matters. Until we know that we're loved, there's nowhere else to go. So though I know it's difficult because we're virtual and there are plenty of things that could distract you, I've been praying this week that the Holy Spirit would, would nudge us towards believing that. that this would be the, the wolf that we would feed, the reality that you're loved. We have some people who'd love to pray with you. If this is the first time you've explored this and you're like, okay, maybe I'm loved, they'd love to pray with you. But also if you're struggling with holding shame or you're struggling with not being able to forgive yourself, wherever you are in this journey, you don't have to do it alone. And one of the biggest steps for us to begin living loved is to call out these hidden parts where we feel less, we feel small. Call those out and surrender those before God. And we have some people who would love to do just that with you. Let me pray over all of us. Heavenly Father, thank you that you're clear. You're clear that we're loved. And I'm sorry that sometimes I have wanted to know deeper and bigger things, thinking that that was overly simplistic. And instead of realizing that every bit of me is loved and is to function as loved. And that if it's not doing that, then it's less than and it's off. God, I know that some of us are wrestling with this, this inner messaging, these seasons of desolation where we're far from you. I know that some of us are believing our own version of being the least and the smallest. And we're hiding or we're trying to prove ourselves, and I pray that you would relieve us of both. That you would fill us with your spirit that we'd know what it's like to be your daughters and your sons, that in new ways we'd know what it's like to be your church, that we'd see your kingdom come and your will be done right here where we sit, in physical spaces like Fourth and Oak, like Louisville, that we'd be lavished with your love. 
Thanks in your name. Amen.